Today we are going to start an important section in the book of Romans, Steps to Living a Transformed Life. We sang holiness. Holiness is what I long for. You know, one of the notable features of Apostle Paul's writings is that he regularly combines doctrine and practical living. There is a section of doctrine and there's a section of practical living. Let me explain uh, these terms. You know, it is not highly technical. Doctrine or belief is something like a like root, roots. And what you have, the practical living is what you have, the tree and the fruits that's above the ground. In other words, doctrine is like the foundation. And what you see above the foundation is the practical living. So to jump into the practical section without the doctrine would be like building a house without foundation. What happens to this house? It will not last. If the foundation is not there, however beautiful that house might be, it won't last. You need to have a strong foundation. But on the other hand, we have, if we have only a solid foundation and there is no house above it, that is also not exciting. What we need is both foundation and a beautiful house above that. So what we have seen in the book of Proverbs, right from chapter one to in Romans, from chapter 1 to chapter 11 is just this foundation. All that Paul has said thus far, right from chapter 1 to chapter 11 in Romans, is nothing but foundation. And this is what we call as doctrine. And what Paul is going to do from chapter 12 to chapter 16 is, is going to begin building a beautiful house over that foundation. You know, it is, it is important to realize that Paul had a very tender pastoral heart. You know, sometimes we have different ideas about Paul. I too had different ideas about Paul, but as you start reading and meditating on his readings, on his writings, you realize Paul had a very, very tender pastoral heart. So his, his, his entire focus is to help believers to live out the Christian faith. You read each one of his epistles and you will come out. His heart is that everyone should enjoy what we have in Christ. We should be satisfied. We should just bask in that glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that is his focus. We need to realize holiness is not automatic. If it is not automatic, that means we need instructions for godly living. It is not only it's enough that we give instructions for godly living, we should also give reasons for these instructions. It's very important. And that is what Paul is going to do from chapter 12 onwards. 
Christianity is primarily a way of living and a way of behaving. That is Christianity because early Christians were called as people of the way. They were peculiar in this world, the way they lived. That's the reason Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. In other words, what Paul is telling is this gospel, this power of God is meant to transform the whole person, the mind, the heart, the emotions, the will, and the behavior. That is the power of God. That is the gospel. We always call our church as the gospel-centered church. And I want all of us to realize what is this gospel all about? This gospel impacts every aspect of our being, our mind, our heart, our emotions, our will, and the very way we live. Gospel promises a transformed life to the believers. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. In other words, salvation means the whole person is involved in the new birth. And that's the reason we need help and instruction at every stage. We have built a house outside, but it is open to the outside weather. All the, you know, the sun, the wind, it all affects the construction. So we need to constantly, we need to take care of that living, whether we are you know, six years old or 100 years old, we need to take care because we are living in this world, but we are not of this world. So we need instructions. How do I take care of my house? How do I take care of my Christian living? And that's what Paul does in Romans chapter 12. Today we will see Romans chapter 12 verses 1 to 2. Romans 12, 1 to 2. Many of us we know this verse by heart. It's good to just, you know, revise this verse. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not Confirm to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Uh, this is God's word. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Glorious Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Spirit of God, speak to us today. Speak to us, O oh Lord. Let your word bear fruit 
for the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, if you are just looking at these two verses, we can say these two verses gives us a summary of the whole of the Christian life. It is just a summary. These two verses are so important. We will continue to meditate on these verses for, few, for the couple of weeks because there is so much in these two verses. You see, Paul was only writing letter. When we say epistle, it is nothing but letter. In letter, you don't give all the details. You just give a synopsis, just the main points, just an outline. So it is very important for us not to just to read these verses, but to work out and draw out what Paul is trying to convey. So there is so much in these two verses. We will continue to meditate on these two verses or through this month, we will do that. You know, these two verses lay down for us the steps for living a transformed life. Also from the viewpoint of evangelism, it's very important. Now you might be wondering, what is there about evangelism in these two verses? The reason I say is, People always say it is easy for people to talk like this, but how do they live? That is the question they ask. I know they talk all this, but look at their lives. In the midst of all the confusion that is there in this world, if there is something that can impact people is the way we live, the way we work. It's still it impacts people. People are attracted to that. And that is why it is important that we pay great attention, not only to our belief, but also to our behavior. If you look at the life of Apostle Paul, he is the one who could boldly say, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. He was so confident he could say that. In other words, he had experienced the transformed life. And that is his heart that everywhere, wherever he went and preached the gospel, he wanted the transformed life for his believers. That is his desire. That is his heart. And it's important for us to learn from the life of Paul. So what do we learn from the life of Paul? The first thing we learn is humility. Notice the way Paul introduces these important sections. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, who was Paul on the intellectual side Paul was a great man, gifted with unusual abilities. If you just look at his life, you know, we can easily say that Paul had four PhDs in the field of religion, philosophy, literature, and history, and that too from the topmost universities. 
you can call it as Ivy League universities, he had four and more PhDs as far as his intelligence is concerned. On the religious side, you know, he was circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for righteousness based on the law, blameless. He was blameless. That is his credential as far as his religious side. On the spiritual side, is an apostle of Jesus Christ. He had seen the risen Lord with his naked eyes on his way to Damascus. He had been commissioned by the Lord himself, not by a man. From the risen Lord himself, he had been commissioned. Revelations had been granted to him in an exceptional manner. You know, he had been taken up to the third heaven and he, he had heard inexpressible things. Can you imagine that experience? He had been used in the working of miracles in an unusual way. The Bible testifies in Acts 19, 11, and 12, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Have you ever heard things like this? This was Paul. And despite all that, in spite of all this, we notice his humility in this passage. He addresses the believers in Rome as brothers and sisters. We might wonder what's great about it. If that's the way you need to address a letter. But you need to realize most of the members in Rome in all probability were slaves, soldiers, and servants. I know there were, you know, we know from the other epistles, there were few members from Caesar's household. We are aware about that. But the church, the bulk of the church consisted of slaves, servants, and soldiers, and here is a mighty man of God addressing them. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters. What he says is, he says, my dear brothers and sisters, we are all Christians together. I may have been privileged to have these gifts and revelations but I'm only a brother like the rest of you. On what basis does Paul say this? We find it in 1 Timothy 1, 14 and 15, the grace 
of our Lord was poured out on me. Paul is talking about him. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's fine. All of us, we know of whom I am the worst. This is the genuine salvation experience. One of the objectives of our church is salvation. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly till we come to that place where we can say that grace of your grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Till we come to that place, to that realization where we say, I am the number one sinner. Transformed life begins with the realization that I am the number one sinner. And I could have never made it apart from God's mercy. Have we come to that point of realization? That is where transformed life begins. I am the number one sinner. And I could have never made it apart from the mercy of God. That's where we find this humility. The second thing we see is motive. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Paul is stating the fundamental reason for living a godly life. Why should we live the godly life in the first place? What is our motive? Because I am the number one sinner and I could have never made it apart from God's mercy. That is the motive. This morning, let us ask ourselves whether this motive drives us. What is our motive? Paul wants us to come to that place where we can say, I am the number one sinner. And I could have never made it apart from God's mercy. Now, many of you in the corporate world, you see many good things happening in your place of work. Many of your friends are doing many good things. But I want you to follow this carefully so that you will understand the fundamental difference between Christian living on the one hand and the, all the ethical systems of the other. I want you to listen to this and process this. There are many people in the world today who are concerned about living a good life. It is not only Christians, many people. But what matters is not what we do, 
What matters is why we do it. That is the essential difference. Christians and non-Christians may perform the same good actions. You know, in Southern Mangla, it is not only our church which you know, distributes provisions to those poor people. There are many other organizations are also doing that. But the essential difference is we are doing it because of the gospel. Because God sacrificed his son on the cross for my sins. That is our motivation and that's why we do that. Others do it because it's a good thing to do. Now their understanding of transforming the society is like doing the good things, but that's not our understanding. If you look at the lives of Jews and Muslims, they have a very high ethical standard. They do more good things than Christians, but they do it because they're afraid of God. It is the fear of punishment that drives them to do those good things. They believe that their sins will be forgiven because of the good deeds. You know, this is, this is known as law of karma. If your colleagues are, you know, discussing these issues with you, you need to understand the essential difference, the difference between the gospel and the other belief system. Now it is interesting, the apostle Paul was once like that himself. That's what makes it very interesting. He was living a godly life according to the law and he was blameless. He was quite self-satisfied and pleased with himself. Once Jesus Christ came into his life, once gospel came into his life, he says in Philippians 3, 8 and 9, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not for having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that, he, that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from Christ on the basis of faith. His entire focus now is, I may gain Christ. What determines whether or not people are Christians is not what they do, but why they do it. To gain Christ becomes our utmost desire. To gain Christ becomes our utmost desire. And how does he proceed? The third and final reason for today, appeal to the mind. He gives reasons. I said in the beginning, you know, holiness is not automatic. We need instructions for godly living. At the same time, we need to give reasons for these godly instructions. So Paul is giving reasons. In other words, he's appealing to the mind. 
So he says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, it's very important. Therefore, the first step to living a transformed life begins with appeal to the mind. The appeal to the understanding. Christians live as they do, not because they have been raised in a Christian home or because others have told them to do so. Not because of that. Now, there is a problem. I'll explain this, why we need to understand the reasons. What is the problem? After all, our parents are godly parents. They're Christians. What's the problem if we follow our parents blindly? Now, let me illustrate this with this, with this example. Then probably if you extrapolate to your life experience, you will realize it. Let me take the example of a new convert. They are taken to a gospel meeting. Message is being preached. They are convicted of their sin and they say the sinner's prayer. The meeting is over. Then they are told, now, well, now you are a Christian. Okay, stop drinking, stop smoking, stop doing this and start doing that. And they obey. But they do not know why they are obeying. They do not understand. They have been given a number of rules and regulations. They have been told all who call themselves as Christians, they live in this way. So you also need to live like this. Now, what is the drawback of this approach? What were they doing before conversion? Before conversion, they were doing all the things the world does. They drank, they danced, and they even did terrible things. Now, they've taken up the other way of life. What has happened? They've just switched over from one behavioral pattern to the another behavioral pattern. But according to Paul, that is wrong. We should never live in a certain way without understanding why. That's the reason Paul says, therefore, therefore, when Paul says, therefore, he says we have a basis. All that he has said from Romans chapter 1 to chapter 11 gives the basis. He says our mind must be involved in our salvation. He says, if we live our Christian life mechanically, then we are living under the law. That is Paul's understanding. Remember, Paul has led a transformed life. And that's the reason he could say, follow my example as I follow the life of Christ. So he's telling how we can lead that transformed life. Now, many a time when Christians, they just say that sinner prayer, sinner's prayer, we think that there's not significant difference in their way of living. Maybe they have not involved their mind in the salvation experience to think over, to reflect. So that Paul could say that 
I am the number one sinner. We come to that place. That's what Paul has said. The problem with the law is the law says do this. And we ask, why should I? The law answers, do not ask questions. Now, you might be find, finding it strange. You know, there are many parents who answer their children like that. When their children ask, why? Because I say so. They, we are not able to give reasons, but Paul has given us reasons as to why we should live a Christian life and how we can live a Christian life. We must explain. Our faith is not bereft of reasons. It has got all valid reasons. We must give reasons. We must understand. We must involve our mind. We must think. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, Paul says, you know, listen to all that I have said from chapter 1 to 11. Remember, never forget, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. This is what marks of Christian behavior from every other kind of ethical living, totally different. Why God's mercy? Why God's mercy? The answer is in chapter one, Romans chapter one. Paul, that's what we call as doctrine, the doctrine of man made in the image of God, the fallen is falling and sinning against God. Why is this world in a mess? If you ask ourselves, why is my life in a mess? Paul says in Romans 1.25, they exchange the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve created things rather than the creator who is forever praised, amen. See, I can go from, I can go through every chapter and I can point out the verses, but we have already seen from chapter one to chapter eight, so I'm not going to do that. Have you ever asked yourself, why have I sinned in the first place? Have you ever asked that question? Why have I sinned in the first place? We need to ask. Salvation begins there. Why in the first place have I sinned? And then you realize we all have sinned and there is hope in only one way, and that's the way of Christ. Romans 3, 23 to 25, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. This is my struggle. 
If you ask me, have I understood this completely? Not at all. God presented Christ, his beloved son, sinless, blameless, as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. I just cannot understand, grasp this completely. But as children of God, we need to struggle and we need to ask. Salvation is not cheap. We have been bought at a price. That is the motivation. We see Christ's mercy. And unless we are convinced, unless we tell these reasons to our mind, we will not be able to build a beautiful house about the foundation. We can have a strong foundation. There is no use if you don't build a house over it. On the other hand, we may try to build a beautiful house, but it won't last if there is, if there is no strong foundation. So Romans chapter 1 to 11, we have that strong foundation. And now Paul is teaching us how to build a beautiful house. I only wish that all of us had a glimpse of what God has kept in store for us. You know, you call an architect and you tell him, just give the, uh, how will this house look like? When it's completed, he will draw the picture and he will show you. I wish we had seen what God has kept for us, for each one of us. It is a beautiful house. No eyes are seen, no ears are heard. That's, it's a fantastic house that he has for each one of us. Are we building that house? God is the builder, but are we aware? And are we building that house? Are we building a house in this world? It's important we see that, we get that master print, that blueprint that God has for you and me. So the transformed life, the first step to living a transformed life begins with the mind. That is the first step to the transformed life begins with the mind. Paul says, we have the mind of Christ. Especially in this age, when we have the mobile in our hand, all the internet, you know, all the information that we have, what are we feeding our mind? Paul says we have the mind of Christ. The more we fill our mind with the truths of the gospel, our house will be beautiful. Our lives will be beautiful. We need to desire this. We need to hunger for this. We need to thirst for this. There is nothing greater than that. It is not enough. I have been saved. I need to be sanctified. I need to know what God has kept in store for me. And I want that more than anything else in this world. So the first step to living a transformed life begins with the mind.
how do we apply this message for today? The first thing you need to ask is, who am I? Who am I? You, you must start re by realizing who you are. You do not start your day thinking about your problems and challenges. You start your day by reminding yourself who you are. Who you are. You are a child of God. God knew you even before you were conceived in your mother's womb. God has chosen you of the billions of people on this planet Earth. He has predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son. God takes great delight over you. In fact, God rejoices over you with singing. Morning when you open your eyes, God is delighted over you and God is singing over you. That is what God is doing. Now, what is your attitude? What is your attitude? Grumbling, complaining. Leading a hopeless life. Who am I? I can live a transformed life because I am a child of God. I can live a transformed life because I am a child of God. The second reason is I have God's power. It is not only enough I am a child of God, I have God's power. Do you know that there is no use telling people what they are to do? You know, if you have worked with people who are in addictions, as you struggle with them, do you know there's no use telling them what they are to do? Because they cannot do it. They don't have that power. What people need is not knowledge and information. What people need is God's power. That is the reason your salvation is more precious than your status, finances, designation, achievements, accomplishments, power, control, and comforts. Your salvation is more precious than your status, finances, designation, achievements, accomplishments, power, control, and comforts. I know many of you must be thinking, pastor has made up this list. No, I have not made up this list. Paul is mentioning this list in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 to 13. If you read, Paul is telling that. Because we don't like to hear this, 
But I have to tell you, if you want to lead a transformed life, you need to consider your salvation more precious than your status, finances, designation, achievements, accomplishments, power, control, comforts, success. You need to come to that place. That's where humility begins. Unless we have come to that place. Otherwise, we are going to worship these earthly gods. We will be worshiping our wealth, our education, our finances, our designation, our success, our property. These are all earthly gods. If you want God's power, bring all your earthly gods and continue to worship him. Remember, I can live a transformed life because the spirit of God is in me. I can live a transformed life because the spirit of God is in me. How do we live a transformed life? Read Romans chapter 1 to 11. Tell your mind why in the first place I committed sin how I could have rescued me. I couldn't have rescued, but for God's abundant grace and sacrifice. Tell your mind clearly. Keep on telling your mind because mind gets to hear a lot of things from this world. You need to feed your mind with the word of God. And once you keep telling your mind that, that's the beginning, that's the first step. to live a transformed life. Tell yourself, who am I? Every morning when you get up, tell yourself, I am a child of God. The spirit of God is in me. You can face everything in this world because you are a child of God, because the spirit of God is in me. You can overcome your sinful habits because you have God's power. You are not helpless. You have God's power. We are children of God. Have we come to understand, realize, the day we realize we will celebrate this truth, we are children of God. What are we seeking in this world? He came. And he has chosen us. Now, I want Christ and Christ alone. Shall we look to the Lord in prayer? Think over your life. Ask God, Lord, let my house be beautiful. The foundation is strong, Lord, but let my house be beautiful. I know, Lord, I have your power. God's power is in me. The spirit of God is in me. Help me, Lord. Enable me to build a beautiful house. Take away my anger. Take away my jealousy. Take away my greed. Take away my self-centeredness. How does the house become beautiful? Clothe me with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. When you paint your house, 
with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. It is all weather true, you know, it can withstand all weather conditions. It'll remain beautiful. It'll remain beautiful wherever you are, in whatever situation you are. Will you hunger for that life? Will you cry? I want my house to be beautiful. And when the spirit of God helps you to build this house, it'll be a house like the beauty will be something like no eye has seen, no ear has heard. It'll be so beautiful. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for speaking to us. Thank you, Lord, for you have chosen us. Even before we were conceived in a mother's womb. Of the billions of people, you have chosen us. We are treasures in your sight. Salvation is costly, Lord. It costs your son his life. Bring us to that realization. Oh God, help us to lead a transformed life. A life that will bring glory to your name. A life that will reflect your light in this world. A life that will be a blessing unto your multitude. We bless your name. Let the word of God grow and spread and produce 30, 60, and 100-fold harvest for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.